Good morning, church. You may be seated. Merry Christmas. Again, you did better than the first service, but it's that time of year where I expect a really big Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, church. Yes, it's a wonderful time. I'm so glad that you were here. I've got a confession to make. I I shared it with the first service, so I feel like I ought to share it with you. There's a line in one of the songs that we sang. It says, haste, haste to bring him laud. As I was singing that in the first service, I thought, laud? Oh, Lord, right? Like, laud? Like, what is that? I had no idea. So maybe I'm confessing something to you, and you're like, (laughs) you should have known that. How many know what that, that word means? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I'm not alone. I looked it up because I thought I might ask for that for Christmas. It's praise. Laud means praise. There you go. You learned something this morning. You're welcome. You're welcome. Merry Christmas, church. We're in our Christmas sermon series called Gift Swap. And last week, we looked at taking the not-so-great gift of worry and, and giving that to God in exchange for his peace. And what we recognized in week one is that what we're going to be bringing to God is not all that great. right? It's just not all that great. Like this exchange is uneven. Because when we give him these not so great gifts, he's going to give us a perfect gift in return. So last week we, we looked, man, we got to get to the root of our worry and anxiety, and that's, that's pride. And if I want to have victory over that worry and that anxiety in my life, I've got to admit my need for God every step of the way. So we learned just to give that to him and receive his peace. This morning, what we're going to be exchanging, what we're going to be swapping is our grief for his joy. We're going to be giving God our grief. Now, I want to be very sensitive to this topic this morning because I am well aware that many of you have walked in this place this morning with a heart that's heavy, with a heart that might be broken, with a heart that's grieving. Why? Because the holidays, they're tough, right? We talked about last week, man, the holidays just bring up all kinds of reasons for us to be anxious, for us to be worried. And the holidays might be that time of year for you where grief just seems to creep up on you so unexpectedly. It might be the time of year where you're, you're looking at the family gathering and that empty seat is just glaring at you because it was once filled. And you're thinking about all the memories, all the traditions, all those emotions that surround that person in your heart. is heavy. But it's not just that loss of a loved one. Grief is such a broad emotion that can be brought on by so many things. So many forms of heartache, so many forms of loss. You, you might be grieving a life that once was but not anymore. I, I, I've come to realize in ministry and, and shepherding people, divorce does this to people. Man, they're grieving that life that just they thought they would once have and it's gone. And the holidays just seem to compound that emotion. But wherever you're at, whatever it is that's bringing upon the grief, I believe with all my heart that grief, handled correctly, is a 
precious gift from God. Grief handled correctly is a gift from God that points us to Jesus and the hope that we have in him and very well could point those around us to the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that, church? So grief handled correctly is a blessing from God. But grief not handled correctly can be very dangerous and even sinful. And I know that's tough to hear. If you're in the middle of grief, you don't want to be told that what you're doing might not be the appropriate way. That even in my grief, I, I might be prone to sin. But we got we to talk about that this morning. we got to talk about the appropriate way to give God our grief in exchange for his precious joy. I want to put something on the screen. It's going to be kind of our, our first thought, our first point. It says, grieve as a person of hope. You should write that down. Grieve as a person of hope. I'm going to get very vulnerable with you this morning, church. I would rather preach in front of 10,000 people than sing a song in front of you. But what we're going to do, I'm going to start. i got to hit the melody so you know what I'm singing. And then I want you to join in with me so I'm not by myself. We good, church? You're like, no, we're going to set you up, buddy. All right, you ready? You ready for it? Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, he fills Keeps me singing as I go. Beautiful hymn, right? I don't know if you know the story behind that. Luther B. Bridges was the guy that wrote that song in 1910. In the year of 1910, he had kind of completed his ministry. He had eased off into retirement for the most part, but he was living in Alabama at the time. He was called out to a revival, I believe, in Kentucky. And it was a two-week time of ministering and preaching. And at the end of those two weeks, he was expecting a call from his family, checking in, seeing how everything was going. And it's been written that he could not wait to share with his wife what all the Lord had done. The phone rang, expecting his wife. It wasn't. It was somebody on the other end informing him that while he was away, they were staying with his father-in-law that his wife and his three boys had died in a house fire. Some of you may know that story. Some of you may not. So how in the world could a guy that just experienced that, life's darkest hour, pen those words? How could he do it? Church, I believe that he did that through the joy in Jesus. That in that moment, he realized that this life is not all that there is. That there is life everlasting. That if I place my faith and my hope and my trust and my joy in Jesus who died but did not stay dead, that rose three days later and rules and reigns in heaven for all eternity, if I place my trust in him, I can have joy. 
But in that moment, I would be willing to bet that he did not have a smile on his face because joy and happiness are totally different. That in this moment, as his heart was breaking, he found joy in Jesus. And he could write that song and write, he keeps me singing as I go. He was grieving as a person who had hope. I want you to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's going to be on the screen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 and 14. Paul writes, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Paul's doing a few things here. He's reminding the people of God that those that have gone on before, that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, will be in heaven one day waiting on them. But also those that are left behind that have the hope in Jesus will not grieve like those who don't have hope. So what Paul is doing is he's drawing a line in the sand. He's saying those that trust in Jesus will grieve differently than those who do not. There is a stark difference. And if you've ever been to a funeral of somebody or their family, they don't know God. It's just a different environment. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. And I've oftentimes wondered, God, how are they, how are they doing this? How can they handle this loss? I'm a person of hope. I have hope in eternity. What are they doing? It's, it's different. So what Paul is saying is, yes, there is a difference. There is a right way to grieve, and there is a wrong way to grieve. Those that have Jesus should grieve the right way. And I think it's important for us to realize this morning that God made this emotion. And that God wants you to handle it the right way. God wants to be a part of your grief. He does not want to be on the outside of your grief. There's going to be a quote on the screen. It says, in your grief, you aren't immune from Satan's attacks. And you aren't excused from your faith in God. I want you to write that down. I want you to let that sit where it will. What we need to understand in our grief is that is one of life's most vulnerable moments. And Satan is cruel and he is wicked. And he will use anything and everything to derail you. And he wants nothing more than in your moment of total vulnerability and grief to sweep in and control the scene. Satan wants to separate you from God in your grief. If he can do that, he can wreak havoc on your life and he can delay and even derail your healing altogether. He wants you separated from him. And this, this, this back part here is uh, you're not excused from your faith in God. Oftentimes we use our pain to mask our true feelings about God. Like we, we just 
don't, don't talk to me, like don't, don't deal with me, I'm in my grief. I can handle this. You're, you're not excused from your faith in God. This is not a moment for you to push pause on your faith. It's a moment for you to lean in to your faith. You've got to be aware of what can happen in the moment of grief. So how, how do I grieve as a person of hope? How do I grieve in a manner where I can give God my grief and receive his joy in exchange. How can I do that? I think if you're truly following Jesus, you, you want to let every aspect, every season of your life bring him honor and glory. So how do we do this? We're going we're gonna to look at the story of Hannah. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to set this story up before we start reading, okay? Before we start reading, we're going to set the story up. Hannah was barren. She could not have children. And this absolutely destroyed her. And so what Hannah had to do was go home every day, and she had a sister wife. We're not going to go down that road. God does not honor polygamy whatsoever. Much of what she is dealing with is a result of that sin. But she had to go back home to the sister wife who could have children, and she would gloat over her, and she would torment her, and she would say, look at the blessing that I have and look at what you don't have. And she was just living this life of grief at what was not going to happen for her, or so she thought. So let's pick up in verse 8. It says, why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask, that's her husband. Why, why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. Crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. We're going to look at her response in just a moment. But let's talk about our normal response in grief. Grief can take on many forms, I know. But typically, we like to just be silent. We try to wait in silence and solitude. We almost feel numb. I'm going to go through some things that we typically do in our grief. I'm not going to put these on the screen because I don't want you to be confused because these aren't good things. But typically, we deny our losses, right? However those losses may have come around, we, we choose to deny the reality of the situation. It didn't happen, it didn't happen, it didn't happen. We ignore it. If I ignore it long enough, if I sweep it under the rug, it'll disappear. You ever felt that way? But if I give it headspace and heart space, it makes it a reality and we don't want to do that. The next thing that we are tempted to do is that we delay our pain. We, we choose to deny that this actually hurts. You may have said this or you may have heard this be said by somebody in their grief. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. You ever said that? You ever had that said to you? When you know in your heart that you're not okay? And you know in your heart that that person's not okay? That's our reaction. I'm okay. I'm all right. 
I'll make it. The third thing is that we love to distract ourselves. We distract ourselves in our pain and our hurt and our grief. This can take on many forms. You get really busy. You work all the time. The more that I can keep my mind on something else, the less I have to deal with the grief. And perhaps we even substitute this chemically, some form or another. We choose to distract ourselves so I don't have to deal with it. But what we see right here in this story is that Hannah very much dealt with it. She was weeping bitterly. But she had the right focus. She wept bitterly with God. I think our modern times, modern psychology would say, grieve in any way that suits you. You ever heard that? Nobody can understand what you are going through except you, so you respond however you want to. That's a lie of Satan. What God is saying is, I want you to grieve in a way that suits me. And what we see right here in the story of Hannah is she was grieving in a way that suited her Lord. Yes, she wept bitterly. And that's what I want to say this morning. That's that point. Write it down. Weep bitterly, but weep with God. Your heart is going to be overwhelmed at what you're dealing with. And it's okay to cry. Guys, it's all right to cry. Did you hear that? Men in the room, it's all right to cry. Something happens mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually when you let that grief out. How do I know this? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ himself wept. Y'all remember the story? He lost his friend. And scripture says he cried. Now I know you're a manly man and you can deal with a lot of stuff. You're not more of a man than Jesus. He wept. What we see in this story is that Hannah responds in grief by weeping bitterly. But she wept with God. It's very important to understand that she did not separate her grief from her God. She brought them together. That's what we need to remember. Yes, let it out, but bring God into the scenario with you. Let's keep reading in verse 12. It says, as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded, throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. What we see here is in her moment of grief, she was not understood. Child of God, in your grief, in your anguish, in your weeping and sorrow, there will likely not be anybody around you that understands what you're going through. And it may even look crazy or drunk. That's what you're seeing here. She was so erratic in her grief. You ever been there? Don't feel shame for this. 
perhaps that's the very posture that God wants you to have in that moment. Be broken, cry, weep, but weep with God. That's in verse 10. I want you to, I want you to highlight that. I want you to remember that. She didn't separate the two. She prayed to the Lord. And according to the world, on the outside looking in, she had every excuse not to bring God in to the scenario. She had every excuse imaginable to hate God. Many of you uh, may know the pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Church. He recently retired this past year. One of the largest churches in the world. Written many, many books. Preached all over the globe for a lot of years. Impacted a lot of people. A few years back, his son, who had been dealing with mental illness for quite some time, took his own life. And he and his wife went to his home to find him. Tragic event. Because he was such a high-profile guy, CNN, like a bunch of Pharisees, tried to get him to mess up. They set him down for an interview. They tried to back him in a corner, see if he would say something inappropriate about his God. So they asked him the question, wow, Pastor Rick, you are the person that brings hope to so many people. And then this happened to you. You must really hate God. He took a moment. His response was beautiful. He said, hate God? How could I hate God? God is the source of hope and joy that I will see my son again one day. How could I hate him? I certainly question his plan, but I don't hate him. You ever been there? You see, in this moment, he refused to separate his grief from his God. He brought it together. And he did not let that grief grow in to hate. Pastor Ryan Chase, he specializes in grief counseling. This is what he says. He says, we sin in our grief when we use it as an excuse not to love God or those around us. You ever thought that in your grief you may be sinning? That in your heartache you may have abandoned your faith? That in life's darkest moment you may have actually turned your back on the Lord? And I know that's not what you want to be told. And, and trust me, I'm, I'm desperately trying to be sensitive to the moment. But God is clear. Don't, don't separate me from this. I, I want to be with you in it. I want to help you. But so many times in our grief, we allow Satan to trick us. And we start posing the question, if God really loved me, how could he let this happen? If God really loved me, why didn't he heal them? If God really loved me, why didn't he restore my marriage? If God really loved me, why, why, why? And Satan uses life's darkest moments to start driving a wedge between you and your Savior. Be aware, church, of what he wants to do in your grief. Do not separate your grief from your God. So the thing we see Hannah do first is that she weeps bitterly, but she weeps with the Lord. And shortly after that, we see where she looked 
to for hope and joy. So let's keep reading. The next thought that I want to bring to your attention is look up. Look up. I want to read out of Colossians 3, 1 and 2. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not of the things of earth. Remember, church, we're supposed to be grieving as people of hope, as people with hope. If we are a people truly filled with hope of the resurrection and life everlasting and the victory that we have in Jesus, we ought not to be people that hang our head in defeat. Whatever the scenario that you're facing that's bringing grief in your life, it will not have victory over you. Do you believe it, church? It will not. We are not supposed to be people that look down in defeat. We are people that look up in victory that we have in Jesus. We grieve differently than those that have no hope. I know that's easier said than done. But that's where God wants you to look in your grief. Look up to him. Let's keep reading Hannah's story. We're going to read out of the ESV because I love the way it phrases this last part. It says, then Eli answered, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, listen to this part, and her face was no longer sad. What I want you to understand in this moment is they didn't have the completed text in the Old Testament. God would speak through priests and prophets in this moment. He witnessed her cry, her plea for help, and he said, may God grant you your petition. May God bless you and give you what you have asked for. So right here in the moment, as she did not take her eyes off God in her grief, she received a word from the Lord, and she left with her face no longer sad. But I want you to understand something. On the external, nothing changed. She left that moment still not pregnant. She left that moment with no children. She left that moment to return home to a gloating sister wife that would continue to rub this in and make her life terrible. Nothing changed on the outside. And in your grief, listen to me, Nothing may change on the outside. As we talked about last week, worry will not add a single day to your life. Grief will not bring that person back. Grief will not change your current circumstance. Nothing on the outside changed. But how could she leave with her face no longer sad? Something changed on the inside. She received a word from the Lord, and it filled her heart with joy, and it filled her heart with hope. She was changed on the inside. She had a word from the Lord. As the psalmist writes, in that moment of fear and anxiety and being overwhelmed with the circumstance that he's facing, he says, where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. The maker of heaven and earth. Child of God, you, you have a word from the Lord 
But I want you to notice about Hannah's story. If she just didn't receive it, she believed it. And if you continue reading in the story, God does grant her her petition. She believed the word from the Lord. She trusted in him. The third thing that I want you to take note of and I want you to write down, that I want you to hang on to, is that in your moment of grief, you need to trust in the promises of God. You need to trust in the promises. In your grief, we can exchange this heartache. We can exchange this suffering. We can exchange this loss for the promises of God. Sometimes we just need to be told by the God in heaven that he's good. That by the God in heaven, he's going to be near you. He's going to hang on to you. He's going to hold you. You don't just need to receive these promises this morning. You need to believe them, church. I want to list some promises for you that may absolutely help you in your time of pain and grief. We're going to list these, and then I'm going to, uh, I'm going to quote the scripture reference. We're not going to read all the passages, but I want you to write these down. The first promise that God makes, and if God promises something, you can hang your hat on it. You can trust it. God promises to hear and answer you when you pray. Does that fill your heart with hope, church? That when I cry out to him, he'll hear me. The next one, God promises to satisfy our hearts with joy in him forever. That comes from Psalm 16, verse 11. He's going to fill you with his joy. The third one, God promises to never leave you or forsake you. Maybe for you this morning, that is exactly the one that you need to hear out of Hebrews chapter 13. That God will always be with you even in life's darkest moments. The fourth one, that God promises to sovereignly rule over every detail of your lives, to maximize your delight, your joy in Him. He promises to do that, church. Romans 8, Philippians 4. The last one, that God promises to keep us from stumbling so that when we stand before him, we'll be blameless and full of what, church? Joy. Grief is real, and you may very well be dealing with it right now. But grieve as a person of hope. You have hope in Jesus and weep bitterly. Let it out. Don't hold in the emotion. Let God have it. But weep with him, not separated from him. And cast your eyes on him. Look to the Lord and his strength. And then trust him. Trust him in that moment. That he's going to be good to you. That he's going to be near to the brokenhearted, as the word of God says. Let me read Psalm 30, the second part of verse 5. It says, Weeping may last through the night, but what, church? Joy comes in the morning. Exchange your grief for his precious joy. Let me pray for you. God, we love you and we are so thankful that in life's darkest moments, we can turn to you and not just turn to you, but we can trust you 
that we can give you our grief. We can give you our heartache. We can give you our loss, our suffering, and that you hear us, and in response, you give us your joy. God, thank you for loving us enough to send Jesus to die on the cross to provide a hope and joy for a lost and dark world. God, I pray for those in the room this morning that are experiencing this deep grief. Be near to them. Help them process it. But God, help them to process it in a way that is healthy. Help them to process it in a way that brings you honor. Help them to process it in a way that brings you glory. And let them know that you very much want to be in the center of their heartache. That you know, you know heartache. You gave your son that we have a loving Father in heaven that knows exactly what we're dealing with. And that you are good and that you're going to be right there. Fill us with your joy this morning. It's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen.